1: Try Pure Peace Volumizing, Simply Nourish Moisturizing, or Daily Zen Shampoo and Conditioner for daily use. All formulated with
0: long-lasting fragrances and are safe for color-treated hair. Reconnect with the best version of yourself.
1: Visit MethodProducts.com to unleash your inner shower. Welcome to the latest edition of the Testuo Times Outtakes Podcast. I'm your host, Lila Bromberg, and today I'm joined by Marty McNair, the father of Maryland football offensive lineman Jordan McNair, who died after suffering a heat stroke during an off-season workout in 2018. Marty, thank you so much for joining me to discuss some really important issues, including the work of the Jordan McNair Foundation. How are you doing?
0: I'm well. Thank you for having
1: me. So it's been almost three years now since Jordan's tragic death, and you and your wife, Tanya, have been doing so much since to prevent further heat related injuries and prioritize the safety of student athletes and have just become so fully involved and invested in this cause but before we get into everything i have to ask just how have you guys been doing i know this has to be something that is still so tough uh
0: we're doing okay i mean life will never be the same you know clearly you know there's a uh Losing Jordan, you know, literally took a, a piece of our hearts with us, uh, with me and his mom Tanya. But um, for the most part, you know, we, we the last three years have been, you know, extremely um, uh, life changing to say the least, uh, as as it would if you any parent loses a child. But um, you know, hopefully, you know, we we've gotten to a level of um, uh, some type of resolve here, you know, just in regards to the... legal battles and things like that. But the main goal right now. Uh, which has always been since he's passing is really to carry um, carry his honor or just you know continue to honor Jordan's legacy by doing the work of the foundation we've created.
1: Yeah, and we've definitely covered the foundation a lot on the site, but for people that might not be as familiar, just could you tell us a bit more about the process that went into founding that and kind of how it's evolved since then?
0: Yeah, so basically, um, one of the things that you know when Jordan was in his hospital, you know, fighting for his life for those two weeks you know, we kept asking ourselves as parents, uh, Tanya and I just kept asking, you know, what did we miss, you know, and all these different things when it came to the type of injury that it was, it was a heat, a heat related injury and uh, a heat stroke for, for, for the most part. And one of the main things is that, you know, we didn't know about these things. And one of the things that we just kept saying to ourselves was, if we don't know these things of having a, a lifelong student athlete from AAU, obviously up to the collegiate level, if we didn't know these things, how many other student athletes or parents of student athletes don't know these things? And one of the things, you know, one of the many things that I taught Jordan to um, just developing him and raising him as a young man and just teaching him some good qualities, you know, I told him everything except for what I didn't know. And, you know, I taught him how to always be a leader, never a follower, you know, we stand up for himself, especially amongst his peers, and, you know, just, you know, just always kind of have some decent a level of integrity, you know, morals and principles. That, you know, I felt as though it was especially, you know, important to raise him on. However, a lot of things that I didn't tell Jordan, and that was really to, as a student athlete, if you feel uncomfortable ever, don't do it. And if, you know, your body tells you to stop, stop. So it was just basically I told him everything that I thought I knew. It was just what I didn't know was really, you know, what kind of added to his, I think, could have been prevented in regards to, you know, his safety and well-being. And um, what we did was we started the foundation based off of of those things. You know, really, uh, if we didn't know these things, you know, how many other parents don't know these things? And Jordan was not the first player to die in the NCAA since the year 2000. But, you know, he fell in predictable statistics that we would lose two to three young men, you know, on the football field uh, as a result of this type of injury every year. And it was like, wait a minute. We had never heard of the other young men that had died, you know, and I was totally unaware of what a heat stroke was or this type of injury. And I think our grief just was so heavy at that particular time, we had to put it into a positive direction so it wouldn't consume us negatively. And this is where, you know, the idea from the foundation to really promote awareness education and prevention around this type of injury began.
1: Great. And what was that process for you guys of just really finding out more about this information, really kind of diving into this research because, you know, you guys have really become experts on this topic over the past few years.
0: Yeah. So for me, mine started like soon as, you know, when Jordan, when we got the call saying that Jordan, you know, had a seizure and, uh, you know, that day, that was a call that we got, you know, and, you know, initially it was just a matter of, you know, let's find out what happened first and then, you know, still not really knowing the magnitude of what was going on and, all I knew that, you know, the first night he was in the hospital and then the second night we went from uh, Washington and Venice Hospital and they airlifted him to uh, University of Maryland Shock Trauma Unit. So I knew it was a lot more. Uh, it was a serious scenario at that time. And I literally just had to know, like, really, how do we go from a healthy kid Tuesday morning? And the last time I had spoken with George was... Uh, Uh, May the 28th, I believe, which was that Monday. And it was just a normal, you know, college father to son, college kid uh, conversation. It was just basically like, hey, you know what? I know practice starts tomorrow. You know, um, hey, you know, have a good day, you know, have a good practice. Call me and let me know how it went. So it was basically like, you know, you guys get as college kids, you call home only really when you need something, but you may only call home once a week, you know, so I was really expecting to call later on in the week. So how did the question, another one of our questions was, how do we go from a healthy guy Tuesday morning that had never been in the hospital or a day in his life, you know, was healthy as a horse to an emergency liver transplant Friday afternoon? And it was like, wait a minute, what happened? Because, you know, that was very significant. And, um, you know, one of the things with that was it was just like, you know, how did, how did this happen? And I had to really teach myself because like I had to it was a lot of sleepless nights for me for maybe like those whole two weeks because you know when I would leave the hospital I would go home and just research everything that the doctors had told me and you know research you know I keep in mind we were totally optimistic that Jordan would make it like him dying never was ever a thought for us we knew he wouldn't play football again but you know we knew he was tough enough really we were praying that he was tough enough to really make it through this And life, I knew life would change after this, you know, from him not doing able what he wanted, always loved to do, which was play football. But I just really, really dug into was a lot of sleepless nights, and I just kind of, you know, got online and I educated myself, you know, and just researched, you know, what the liver does, what heat stroke does, how are they preventable, what's the lifespan of a person with a liver transplant. I mean, I just kind of really, really dug in. And that's how we really kind of got educated on this because, you know, there were so many things that, you know, we really didn't know. So I had to educate myself basically short of going to medical school, you know, for that time. But I felt like I did, especially in this
1: scenario. I guess kind of at what point did you guys realize that, you know, he wasn't going to make it and or is that just, you know, extremely sudden thing? And then how do you kind of deal with dealing with that and then kind of juggling all of this stuff of, you're still learning all this information, dealing with, you know, media investigations, just that has to be so much to deal with at once.
0: Yeah, actually it was. Uh, you know, Tanya and I were optimistic. Jordan passed June the 13th of 2018. We were literally optimistic all the way up until the 11th. And, you know, he had some setbacks. And when you're that, when you're at that level of um, um, a medical acuteness or and things of that seriously, serious medically, You know, it's called, it's what they call the ICU shuffle. And um, it's like, you know, it's one good day, one bad day, one good day, one bad. It could be one shift, one good shift, one bad shift. Unfortunately, you can't have two bad days or you can't have two two bad shifts because that's just how sick he was. And at that time, I think on the 11th, uh, he had two bad shifts and it was just like, you know what, you know, he wasn't getting any better, some other complications that came up it was just a a sense of calm that came across uh, across Tanya and I on the 12th when we, because all our days were spent at the hospital. And when we left after visiting hours, it was just a sense of calm that, you know, we never wanted to compromise Jordan's quality of life when the time came. And, you know, the 13th really was the day where, you know, the doctors call and they said they didn't expect him to make it through the day. But, you know, we had kind of made peace with that the day before because, you know, it just really was like, you know, much as we loved our son and we would love to have him here, we wouldn't have, we wouldn't want his quality of life compromised to that degree.
1: What was that kind of experience like after that? I mean, you're dealing with such a terrible loss and then, you know, you're dealing with kind of all the attention that comes with it, both with, um, you know, doing all that research and really becoming advocates for this, but also just kind of investigations that were happening and all the different attention just what was that experience like for you guys as parents?
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, interesting to say the least. Luckily, we had a, uh, a, uh, a, a very good legal team. You know, I say the best legal team because, you know, it was a lot of stuff that, um, you know, you, you, I, I think for us, you know, we kind of wanted to get all the facts first before we start talking to the media and things like that. And the media was very, very persistent at that time. Uh, as soon as Jordan went down, um, but again, I just think that, you know, we utilize the media, you know, the right way to the point we it worked for us as opposed to against us. And um, uh, like, again, you know, we wanted facts. And, and that was really one of the good things for us that, you know, we're not saying anything until we know what happened. And it's just unfortunate that so many people speak without knowing what happened. And they speak to the media. And I just think with us, you know, our strategy was, you know, let's find out everything that happened. And then we'll, you know, make a statement. Um, worthy of making, you know, to kind of go from here. But it was very challenging uh, to just lose your child, and and I mean the media attention that was surrounding it, and the media attention that was constantly hounding us, you know, asking us what happened. And you know, I think that the child, one of the challenging parts was not saying anything, you know. But again, that was really the the the, the strategy at that time. Let's find out what happened first, um, and then the grief was really beyond. You know, we had to do something to keep us um, um, sane for lack of a better term. And the foundation really kind of did that.
1: How kind of gratifying has that experience been with, with the foundation of just learning more about this and really creating that, that purpose?
0: Um, extremely, you know, just from a perspective of, unfortunately, you know, we, we haven't lost any more young people. We lost one young man at the college level, uh, as a, re- as a result of a heat related injury, um, that August, Braden Bradford. However, you know, when you look at the big picture, which a lot of people don't see, you know, Jordan Jordan have Jordan's uh, life and the work that we're doing and the attention to our story may have saved six or seven young men already since he's passed because realistically, um, it was two to three predictable uh, statistics, predict- predictable statistics of young men that would have died uh, since then you know, since Jordan's passing. And you look at two to three guys at the college level we're going to go down every year, same way he did, based off of the same things, always on the first day of practice. And usually, you know, some may succumb to the uh, heat-related injuries, you know, but again, it was always pretty much the same. However, we still lost maybe 20 young people last year at the AAU and high school level. So um, our goal was really to, less, you know, let's educate as many people as we can Uh, parents, coaches, student athletes, uh, in regards to this type of injury. And, you know, clearly, unfortunately, we're still losing young people across the nation. Last year, in the midst of a pandemic, was, I mean, we lost 20 kids last year, you know, and these are places that you would never, ever hear of. And the work that we were doing is just say, you know, what our mission is to promote awareness, education, and prevention around heat-related injuries, and to diminish the deaths of, from this type of injury. And, you know, we can't stop it, but we can diminish it by, you know, literally educating as many people as we can. And we do that by uh, educating people. We donated uh, over 300 cold water tubs uh, pre-COVID to uh, sports programs. We didn't, we didn't care what it was, you know, what type of sport, um, where it was with level of competition. We basically donated uh, those tubs from literally Alaska to Florida.
1: I know you guys, you know, did that you guys had had done workshops and then you kind of get into process of um, with what we're kind of discussing today of kind of getting more into the legal side of things and wanting to have, um, you know, some legislation pass and and things like that. When did you guys first start thinking about that as something that you want to explore? Uh,
0: Yeah, we started looking at because one of the main things, you know, it's always uh, um, a great way to Honor your child's legacy, especially in a scenario like this, where uh, you get a, a a level of legislation passed or a law passed. So our first bill that we our first bill that we got passed was in Baltimore City with uh, now uh, Mayor Brandon Scott. So he was uh, the city council president at that time, and basically that bill was the Jordan McNair uh, Youth Safety Protection Act. And again, it's a municipi- it's in a municipality in Baltimore City. And basically, what that means is that particular bill, uh, all AAU coaches that um, um, play in Baltimore City and they use parks and the city of parks and recreations facilities have to be trained in a variety of things. So uh, this is where education comes in: from uh, heat-related injuries, CPR, cardiac arrest, how to use an AED machine, and also um, how to identify the signs of uh, child abuse. So it's a a separate, another partnership with the Department of uh, Social Services. And then I started doing some work one day, I was reading the paper and I started doing some, um, saw another bill, uh, the Jordan McNair Act. And that basically uh, was a bill that was already established. However, we added Jordan's name to that because that goes back to, or that bill is to protect college student athletes in the state of Maryland if they feel uncomfortable uh, on any student athletes, if they feel uncomfortable um, with any type of coaches or anything in that particular arena, they can call anonymously and make a report without any type of fear of any type of repercussions or anything like that. So in the process of doing some work with our Delegate Shelly Hedelman which she's now Senator, Senator Hettleman, uh, she had introduced me to uh, Delegate Brooke Lehrman. And this was probably back in, I wanna say maybe, uh, maybe towards the end of the year in 2019. And we started talking about what is now hopefully the Jordan McNair Safe and, Safe and Fair Play Act. And basically it was talking about, you know, we just started the discussions about players getting paid for their likeness. But really what caught our attention was the health and wellness um, and safety component of the bill. And basically what that meant was, you know, this is a return to play. Uh, this is student athlete safety. Uh, this is student athlete self-worth. And basically, you know, it really didn't uh, the merit that it had. I really didn't fully understand the whole legislation process at that point because I really wasn't aware of, you know, House bills. Then it has to go to the Senate. Um, You know, so, again, I I really wasn't aware of the full process. And I tell people all of the time uh, my understanding of how a bill was passed. I'm a lot. I'm probably old enough to be a father. They used to have this really cool commercial that came on TV every Saturday morning. And uh, it really was like an info commercial. And it was just, you know, this this little bill and they would show him sitting on Capitol Hill. And basically that was really my only understanding of how a bill got passed. And-
1: You're land, talking about Schoolhouse Rock, right? Schoolhouse
0: right. Rock, yeah. Okay, cool, so you're familiar with it, right. <laughs> schoolhouse Rock. And, um, you know, basically that was really my comprehension of how a bill got passed. Like I, I had to go back and look at the, something that I could relate to, but the definitive, how definitive it was and at the basic level, of how to get a bill passed. I didn't understand the house. I didn't understand what the Senate was or whatever. So now that we're in it, I initially didn't have a full understanding of it. I just knew that Jordan was all Jordan had become the poster boy for collegiate student athlete safety. And I knew that's what attracted us to the safety component of it. Not necessarily. I didn't really fully understand the um, players getting paid for their likeness. And I don't think a lot of people still do either. I have a better understanding of it now, but those were really the things um, I just know as a parent of any parent. And I think I speak for all parents in in America that send their their kids off to college. We expect them to return, you know, better than they, they were when they left, you know, at least more educated uh, um, and ready to, you know, be successful in the world nobody sends their student athlete or their their student away to college to not return. You know, nobody sends their student athlete or their, uh, you know, their their child away, you know, regardless, nobody sends their child away for them not to return much less die in the process. So those were things that were very significant to me. Um, This year, you know, it didn't pass the house last year. However, uh, you know, we retweaked some things and when we got it this year, our main focus was really the health and wellness component of it because, you know, player safety is the Jordan McNair's foundation's motivation. You know, those are the things that we focus on here. So this year it looked a lot better. We had a different understanding of it. And it's ironic because the things that matter to us most, not the players getting paid for their likeness. However, the player safety and wellness returning to play, their scholarships are protected, those type of things. That's what took the forefront. So it really worked out, you know, almost serendipitously in regards to that this year
1: you guys have put so much work, as we've talked about, into this foundation, into creating this initiatives. How much has it meant over the past year to really see some of this stuff start to come to fruition from a legal side of things? And especially with having this bill passed, going through that third reading in the House of Delegates and the State Senate, just how much has that meant to you?
0: Oh man, I mean, this is this is one of our most major, this is one of our our um, most significant victories uh, in regards to the work that we do. You know, one of the things Lila is, um, you know, people people understand, you know, that these last three years have been very uh, tumultuous to say the least, mm-hmm. you know, the media attention and, you know, the, 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 the legal battle that we had, you know, that we finally resolved. Um, but again, you know, it was, it was really like a scab that just wouldn't heal. You know, like really, you know, every time you see a child, you know, on the, in the media, uh, you know, it's just like a, 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 a stomach, a punch in the gut. And, you know, really, it was just like, you know, you really want some closure for this. And one of the things that, you know, we realized was like, guess what, this only prepared us to fight in a bigger system or a bigger platform in a sense, so or a bigger arena. So I think that you know this was everything just kind of worked out timely in regards to um, uh, you know the battle that we had. It took almost three years for us to resolve this scenario. I mean, this was a significant, a significant thing. Um, it really was never about you know a settlement amount because you know no amount can bring you know Jordan back, which is most important to us. However, it does give us an opportunity to continue to do the work that we're doing that we committed to doing. Now I think that even in the um, the uh, uh, political arena, what that does also is, you know, sometimes, you know, everything can't come along too easy, you know, and I just think that, you know, you really don't understand the magnitude of the victory if it just went through, say it just went through the first time, you mm-hmm. know, so it's like, no, you know what, I think that, you know, us seeing that what it takes to go there, and I applaud the state of Maryland just because, you know, we've had the fortitude to, um, the fortitude and the persistence, you know, Delegate Brooke Brooke Lehrman, uh, Senator Reedy, you know, I think that, you know, I applaud both of them for, um, you know, hey, even get behind this and including us in it. I'm just glad that one of the things for us, we created something tangible to connect to all of these things and we just weren't lip service. And we, you know, luckily we, I'm grateful that we had application to what it is that we said we were going to do and what we were doing in a sense to make a difference. Uh, in regards to student athlete safety. So to us, this was significant. And and I just think that, you know, what it does is it just created a platform for other states. And I just hope other states really see the magnitude of you protect your own players. You know, the NCAA, you know, they, and this is the thing, let me me say this. The NCAA has a $10,000 life insurance policy on every student athlete that I hope no parent should ever have to experience that, right? And the point that I'm making is his organization that we always try to make it look like it's a Oz type uh, entity. And I don't know what they do, you know, but again, you know, it's like, if you don't know the value or the level of empowerment that you have in a sense, you know, I guess you'll never know what, what, what you can do. But one of the things I learned throughout the legislation process last year was uh, the NCAA doesn't trump state law. They can't tell a state what to do. So if a state says, hey, this is the laws that we want to put in place. And this is the laws that we you know, strongly believe in to protect ours, our student athletes and this and that, and this is, we want to pay them, you know, or they can get paid for their likeness and image. I say, you know, I applaud them because, you know, really uh, we can get so caught up in, you know, hey, the NCAA does this or they say this or they say that. And I just think that, you know, nobody has to wait and no student athlete in America, but property of the NCAA. So I just think that this was ideal on a much, much bigger platform to not only keep our student athletes safe in the state of Maryland or any state that's adopted this or who will adopt it in the future, but also to give them a level of empowerment to say, hey, you know what? I'm worth more than I can actually get my, my full worth in regards to, you know, like I said, it's all about developing our young people at whatever case that may be regarding their way to higher level collegiate institution.
1: Right. And so obviously that that main focus is on kind of implementing those guidelines for you know assessing and treating force related conditions and injury and, and kind of that response. But you mentioned kind of now kind of working in the name, image and likeness stuff as well. And you mentioned it, it's something that a lot of people don't kind of understand. So I guess just to kind of give an overview for anyone listening, it isn't the schools paying the athletes themselves. It is simply allowing student athletes to make money off of their name. I'm a senior at Maryland. I can go out and, you know, market myself and make money off of those things. If I wanted to start like a um, clothing shop online or want to do anything like that, I can do that. Um, If I wanted to be paid for, you know, doing a certain internship or start a foundation, I can do that. As a student athlete, you can't do that for, for people who don't know. Um, You don't have the right to use your name to make any amount of money and, This is something that not just applies to students who are kind of stars in that spotlight, but a lot of kids who are not going to make it to that next level and kind of are looking for a way to kind of support themselves while they are in college.
0: Totally agree. And, and, you know, really to kind of piggyback off what you're saying, you know, keep in mind the percentages of young people, student athletes that literally go to the next level, just look at it. You know, you you may have, Mm -hmm. it's only two to 3%, that's it. So it's not like these kids are going to be used in video games or anything like that. But let's say, what about that other 98% or that other 97%? So if that young, you may have a student athlete that may, you know, maybe an artist, you know, or a student athlete that may play in a band or a student athlete that, you know, they may be a likable uh, uh, person. He or she may be likable and they want them to do a commentation of an AU event over the weekend or something like that, non-season or something to that effect this is where they can get paid for their image of life. And this is what this kind of breaks down to. Uh, So again, like you said, student colleges aren't paying you to come here and we are going to pay you to play. We're not doing that. Again, you know, hey, we give you an education, there's a reciprocal process. And one of the things that I emphasize to all student athletes, especially if you're on scholarship, anything, get everything you can get from that particular, that particular university or that that higher level collegiate institution that they're getting from you. Because that's what I just said, even in regards to the NCAA, the NCAA makes hundreds of million dollars a year for you playing at a school or your team playing, or you're playing on a part of a team at a school. And guess what? In the event that something happens to you or that particular student athlete, you're only worth $10,000 to them. That's something to think about. And I think that this bill also creates self-worth of student athletes to the point where you don't have to feel Uh, um, uh, vindicated or bad about saying, hey, you know what, I want to go out on the weekends and I want to play in a band and scenarios that we gave. And I don't feel as though I should be, uh, um, I should suffer any type of infractions from the NCAA as a result of doing so.
1: Yeah, what's your reaction when you see, when you learn about kind of that $10,000 number and just kind of learning more of the intricacies behind the NCAA and just kind of how this all works and kind of injustice of it?
0: Man, I I think that, you know, unfortunately when uh, people, um, it it, it really makes you really see, you know, like, you know, hey, and and again, I just think that, I'm sorry, I kind of get emotional when you ask that question. So let me, let me back up. Uh, It's frustrating, it's frustrating, extremely frustrating. But if you don't know, and I just think that people give the NCAA way more credit than they actually deserve. To me mm-hmm. again here's an opportunity for um the relevancy for student athletes parents of student athletes to see the value that the ncaa could do better in the event of and hopefully nobody no parent should ever have to experience this but let's just say for instance you know i mean ten thousand dollars that's not a lot i think if anything the ncaa should at least um the ncaa should at least uh um uh, uh I'm sorry, the NCAA should at least increase the insurance policies of student athletes at least to $25,000 per student. it ain't gonna cost them, it won't cost them that much, but that's just my personal opinion.
1: What has it been like for you watching over this past year, you've, you know, you were working on the book which we'll discuss and, you know, we mentioned working on this bill, but just watching um, everything from, you know, college football players, Playing kind of during COVID and getting COVID and things like that, and then watching also all the name, image, and likeness stuff continue and unfold. Just, what was that experience been like for you watching from afar? Just given your experience within all of this and everything you've learned.
0: Well, let me tell you. I told you, um, at, you know, the foundation. Our number one priority is student safety, mm-hmm. and you know, really, you know, I, I, as much as I like playing, look, much as I like watching college sports and especially college football, you know, as if Jordan was still playing. Um, you know, I, I still feel a certain type of way about, you know, I, I don't think that they should have had a season in regards to uh, um, the pandemic. And every time I saw it, you know, I talked to quite a few players uh, on Maryland on the 2020 team that, you know, had got it. And it was just like, I'm still that, I still had that fatherly concern to say, hey, you know, how you doing? How you making out? Because I just think that, you know, it's a much bigger picture here. So to me, I'd rather see a player say, any day than to compromise themselves or the school to be in a situation like that, and, and never for my entertainment. But I understand it's it's a much bigger um, a scenario than me, or bigger platform than than us. But you know, I'm player safety first. I, I would, if it was up to me, I would have said, hey, no, don't have a season until we get the get this underway. But that's just me, and like I said, that's just what you know our beliefs and our mission are. You know, from a foundation perspective. You know, I always want a child to be safe or student athlete to be safe before, you know, my entertainment or enjoyment from watching the game comes into play.
1: Right. And I think you really saw that kind of intertwining over the past year of, okay, we're putting, you know, our lives on the line. We're literally kind of getting this disease. We can't see our families. We're going through all of this and at the same time, uh, you know, we can't even kind of make money off of our own name and basically kind of you're, you're kind of owning that, that right. Um, What have you thought of kind of how student athletes have kind of really taken that onus and really gotten behind kind of this movement to push themselves for name image and likeness?
0: Yeah, well, I think that last year was such an interesting year, uh, especially during the Black Lives Matter movement, George, George Floyd and everything. So What I really think that, you know, it really enlightened a lot of student athletes and especially, you know, a lot of, um, at a lot of colleges where student athletes were being mistreated. And I think that the awareness woke people up to say, wait a minute, coach was kind of saying some things that, you know, really didn't sit well with me, or he was kind of saying some things, you know, at a different type of um, uh, maybe negative undertones and things like that. So I think what it did was it really woke all student athletes up in a sense. And it's just unfortunate that uh, a lot of opportunities may have been missed in regards to, you know, a lot of players from, I was speaking to a friend of mine yesterday and uh, she was telling me her son was going to, uh, I mean, still, he was still going to a great school. However, you know, he went academically because he felt as though he had missed his opportunity sports wise, just due to that particular year. So, you know, it just was really somewhat challenging in regards to, not only student athletes, but you know, imagine you go through 12 years of, of school to get to, you know who wants to graduate? And a lot of people that really couldn't graduate or anything like that just due to COVID restrictions and things like that. So I just think that it put a new sense of normalcy on a lot of, um, on everybody for lack of, for, for the most part. But you, know, you just still felt bad for young people because maybe their level to adapt to certain things or their ability to adapt the way maybe an adult would be, could do. Uh, was just a tad bit challenging, so I, I, I felt for everybody regarding that.
1: Right, and kind of during, I guess, towards towards the start of the you know pandemic last last summer is when you have the the book uh, published. When did you kind of decide that okay, you know, I want to write a book. This is something that I, I want to do.
0: Yes, yeah, so I came up with uh, I wrote a, I start writing, Can my child play, and I knew you know I wanted to share our story with with the world. Um, in, in regard to in regards to Jordan and 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 everything that we have been dealing with over the last two two years at that particular time, and um, I started writing in October, maybe September October of 2020, and I would just kind of dabble here and there, and you know I might get on in in the zone maybe you know two three weeks maybe a month right, and then you know I, and I'm still moving around, and uh, I was just telling my staff this morning that you know when. Uh, Pre-COVID, you know, I kind of had my whole year kind of planned out in regards to schools I was speaking at, states I was speaking at, um, you know, carrying the message of of what it is that we do. And when COVID kicked in, I was like, you know what, I'll never have an opportunity to sit still for such a long period of time while we were in quarantine. And I just decided to make the best out of it. And it was like, you know what, I'm going to finish this book. And literally, like, you know, I I, I finished it then. Um, Luckily, I had a really good editor and uh you know really it was just like you know i was just kind of like very very focused so the release date of the book was because jordan passed on june the 13th Mm -hmm. and what we usually do we usually do a a health and wellness sports clinic uh where we focus on kids but our main focus was on education of coaches and parents during that time and that's always on june the 13th so uh i knew we weren't going to do the camp just because of the pandemic However, the release date, I wanted that to be a significant time to you know, release the book because that, just, that particular day just always means something to me. And um, what we try to do is just try to create some serious value around the day that Jordan died. And I released it that day, um, uh, like a soft copy of it. I think we did the digital version of it. I'm still trying to tweak it. And Hardback uh, um, uh, came out on July the 5th, uh, officially. Now, one of the things that, you know, the name of the book is Can My Child Play? And the reason that the name behind the book is, uh, or the title of the book is, Jordan was a lifelong athlete, and I, like every other parent in America, I only ask two questions. Can he play, and why isn't he playing? And that's, think, as parents, those are the only questions that we have, where in reality, we should have a long list of questions. I told you earlier, you know, really our list of questions didn't even start until we got the phone call saying that Jordan was injured. I came in the hospital asking questions. Where in reality, if I had asked the right questions, you know, at that prior to while doing the recruitment process of all schools, maybe we could have made a better decision. But, you know, it just was, you know, I think that this is our way of informing people on what questions to ask. There should be a laundry list of safety questions you should, every parent in America should ask prior to making the decision to let their child play at any AAU program, high school program, and definitely a collegiate program. Uh, And I just think it really, you know, the book really talks about my redemption um, just in regards to raising Jordan, how I wanted him to be, you know, a better parent. Uh, It focuses on uh, Jordan's mom, Tanya and I just being wonderful co-parents and a successful formula to co-parent and how we got Jordan to the level of success that we did together. So the book is definitely a really, really good read covers a lot of things. Um, and I just think that, you know, it'll be enjoyed by all who decide to read it. You can purchase it at, uh, you can go on Amazon or you can get an autographed copy. If you go to the Jordan McNair foundation.org and uh order one from us and I'll, I'll personally autograph and send it out.
1: And if you could kind of just summarize or kind of just give a little bit of insight, like what were those kind of most important questions that you learned about?
0: Yeah. So, um, The most important questions, and and even while Jordan, when Jordan was being uh, recruited at Maryland, uh, when the coaches came to a few days before signing day, um, I asked, you know, two questions. Can Jordan get some playing time? That was my first question. And secondly, I asked, you know, I'm in the substance abuse and uh, mental health arena, and I asked what was the support around mental health and substance abuse for all of us players. Those were only two questions I asked. The questions that we should have asked was, do you have an emergency action plan? In the event that my child gets hurt or injured, what are you all gonna do? What's the closest hospital? Who's gonna ride in the ambulance? Who's gonna call me? Um, and I can, do you all have any safety trainings? Do you all have an AED machine? Do you all use a cold water tub? These are the questions that I should have asked to help us make an informed decision. If my child gets hurt, can he still go to the school? If his scholarship is still good? So these are things that we should have asked as opposed to me just asking those two questions. Can he play? Can he? Can he play? And which you know, what my other question was. So it's a ton of other questions. I think that will help any parent make a proactive, uh, a proactive, legitimate, um, informed decision to say, "This is why I'm letting my son come to or my daughter come to this school to play sports."
1: And I guess just one point I also wanted to hit on and ask you about: just what has it been like for you since? You know, Mike Locksley took over the Maryland program, and I know this has been something that's been really important to him and that he, he's been a you know, huge supporter of. And uh, just to kind of like see the response, I remember, I, I think it was one of the stories I did when he initially came out. I had done it for USA Today or something else. I think one of the things that really stood out the players, one of the first things was they had a Jordan McNair fundraiser at Chipotle. And I yeah. think he, he stood at the front and bought like $790 worth of, you know, <laughs> yeah. food for people, things like that. Just what has that relationship been like? And to kind of see that support coming from the program.
0: Uh, yeah. So uh, uh, Lox and I, uh, actually I did an interview in his office yesterday. Uh, he let me use his office uh, with, with a magazine yesterday. Um, uh, and this is the thing, you know, Coach Lox and I are, are like brothers. We, the inter- and this is what most people don't realize you know, we don't have a football relationship. Uh, we're, we, we both say that we're a, uh, we're members of a fraternity that no parents wants to be a part of. And the way I say that is because, you know, um, uh, unfortunately, you know, he lost his son, Miko. Uh, he and Kia lost his son, Miko in 2017. So really it was locks that would send me daily messages and he would call me. And cause at that time, what, from a father's perspective, who knew to who knew how to the, the experience of dealing with such a tragedy at this time and, and Locks just walked me through every morning that that solidified our relationship um, at that particular time during the time when Jordan passed during the funeral. I mean it it was just extremely challenging, but you know he was kind of like a ray of light. You know in regards to hey bro, I know what you're going through. You know expect this. You know even at the funeral, you know he gave me some pointers like you know I know you want to be tough for your family and you want to be strong but you know really just kind of brace yourself because you know when they close the casket that's a level of finality but you know really the interesting thing is uh locks and uh, jordan and, and um and um lock's daughter they had uh went to uh mcdonough together so they we, we were all at signing a day i think locks was in alabama but locks wife kia and i uh were there uh while the kids were you know signing you know the seniors were signing that day so uh, and then I re- we always laugh because I remember uh, we were standing outside of Jordan's 16th birthday party and um, his daughter was there as well. So, you know, really he was out there as, as the dad picking her up. So we've always had a, a good kind of like indirect relationship, but I think that the loss of Miko and um, the loss of uh, Jordan really just kind of brought us closer together when we started spending a lot more time together. Um, I really think that even when Locks came back, you know, one of the main things it really at that time was, you know, and I, I applaud Locks for taking that position to say, hey, you know what, I'm going to come back. And at that particular year, it wasn't about wins and losses. It was just really a matter of how can I bring, you know, this community back together, you know, and make it whole again, you know, and I think that you really had to have a level of patience really to do that because it wasn't about wins and losses that year it was just really like, you know, how can we come in and how can we get complete in the midst of a tragedy? Because I just think if it wasn't for Locks, you know, the program could have went, you know, really in the total opposite direction. So I really think that, you know, he was the the thought leader and the, uh, uh, the olive branch that really kind of brought, you know, the team back together. And, you know, really, I mean, hey, I support him 100%. Uh, you know, he told me, I remember when he first, I asked him to take the job. And then, you know, he was like, he was kind of on the fence. And then when he called me, you know, he said, man, you know, I haven't even told my wife, but I'm calling you first. I'm not going to do it unless I have you in your support. And clearly, you know, I knew it was from a place of genuineness. And, um, you know, hey, he had our support. He has my support, you know, 1,000%. Yep.
1: Great. And so with this bill passing in Maryland and, you know, the work you guys have done before in the state and then having, you know, Loxley is that advocate who understands as well, just what do you kind of see for the potential of kind of maybe the example or standard that Maryland kind of can set with, with this partnership and with your organization leading the way?
0: Yeah, so uh, one of the main things, I mean, in regards to the partnership with UND, uh, we're in the process now of uh, we created a medical advisory board, uh, and basically what I'd like to see, you know, hopefully Maryland will, um, you know, buy into or, or help me create I like to create a Jordan McNair uh, Institute. You have a Corey Stringer Institute at UConn. Um, and I think that, you know, really we can kind of do the same at University of Maryland. Um, I think that really and what we've created, I'm just glad that we created something tangible to partner with in regards to the foundation uh, with, you know, whether we partnered or not, you know, our work still continued. However, I just think that, you know, really the credibility factor of, you know, having a, a UMD Um, being with the UMD, partnering with the UMD um, organization or umbrella such as that, you know, we can really go a lot further. In regards to legislation, uh, hopefully, um, I would like to see a domino effect of states following Maryland's lead. However, you know, really, one of the main things, Lila, is, you know, one of the things I learned is that, you know, the only way to make an impact in the nation is to create legislation and policy and legislation, forgive me, but one of the main things I like to see it done at a federal level as opposed to we gotta wait for a domino effect to say okay this state adapts it this state adopts it this state adopts it if we can get to a federal level a federal level of legislation i think that that would be impactful where um colleges or all states have to follow these guidelines to protect our student athletes and that's really the big picture and i think that the jordan mcmahon foundation you know really we're we're up for the fight to you know get these things done in these states
1: well, I really appreciate you taking the time, and you know, it's it's great to discuss such an important issue. Is there anything we didn't hit on that you wanted to add, or, or things that people should check out?
0: Uh, yeah, I think um, I think we covered everything. However, I, I encourage everybody to uh, we always have some uh, to check out our website, JordanMcNairFoundation.org. Please always follow follow us on Twitter. It's uh, JM underscore Foundation. Um, please our Facebook is Jordan McNair Foundation uh our Instagram so our Instagram is uh Jordan J Mac Foundation, I believe. And we always have what we're up to. Uh what I do encourage everybody to, we have uh we always do fundraisers and we had to get really, really creative during COVID, you know, to keep our to keep our keep raising monies uh to continue our mission or continue our efforts. And you know we did we do Peloton fundraiser rides. Uh, we did one in November. We did one for Jordan's birthday. But one of the things we do a golf tournament every year, we do, you know, sports clinics every year, but like, we're really excited about doing our uh, cute dog photo contest. And that's like everybody, my dog's running around here somewhere. So I would have held them up, but uh, no board members can participate. (laughs) But the main thing is we're launching that, uh, that starts um, May 1st, I believe. And basically uh, the register, your, your furry family member or your furry child All you gotta do is go to our Jordan McNair uh, foundation.org website. And the basically, the way that you win is all the votes are a dollar a vote per individual vote. So what you do is uh, whoever gets the most votes, their dog wins the contest. So this is the ideal time to show all those cute doggy photos of, you know, hey, I'm gonna send them out to a couple of friends of mine and um, everybody said, oh, my dog will win, my dog will win. So we will see. So please go to the Jordan Foundation.org uh, website and basically register your uh, Ferrari family member and let's see, you know, who wins at the end of May. And so we're really excited about that. And uh, basically everything else, you can kind of follow us in the work that we're doing along the way.
1: Well, thank you so much for coming on and thanks everyone for listening.
0: Hey, thank you so much, Lila.